another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing welcome to another episode of and another thing the podcast that continues to set records around the world and then as we always do we break those records my name is Jody Jenkins. My name is Tony Clement. And Tony, before we get into our sponsors and thank uh, the people we got to thank, I just want to let you know, because you, you've been away yes. in uh, Florida. Yes. The Panhandle. Yes. Uh, Freedom well, City. Panhandle, but... The Freedom State. Wow, what do you mean? The Panhandle's in Florida, isn't it? Yeah, but I wasn't in the Panhandle. Oh, no, 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 but was... close enough, close enough. Okay. <laughs> uh, Ron DeSantis country. Yeah. And... While you were away, I know we'll chat a little bit about what it was like down there, but while you were away, I just want you to know, I sent out a tweet asking Aaron O'Toole to come on the show, of course, the leader of the Conservative Party official opposition, and I know it wasn't him, it was it was his office, but they actually liked the tweet, so, Ooh. you know, even after we've, not, sorry, even after I, because I know you don't steadily rip on him. No, I'm a, loyal, pretty, I'm a loyal, I'm a loyal. I've been pretty kid. consistent. I've been pretty consistent with yeah. with uh, putting it out there. But uh, so I guess we haven't completely burned that bridge. But if things go well tonight or today on this program, uh, there should be no chance of him coming on. So. Hey, can I just say one thing about Florida? So um, uh, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, made a big announcement while I was there about how he would uh, make sure that people were not getting fired if they were not vaxxed, right? Yeah. And uh, guess where he made the announcement? I, did I, I thought I saw this on TV. Br- I want to say like a fire hall. But... Brandon, Florida. Yeah, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I did see those posters. People were holding up signs behind it and stuff. <laughs> oh, that, that was oh classic. my gosh. I. Uh... By the way, speaking of the states, is... Is Trump still the favorite in Vegas with the early line on uh, the next pre- as the next president? Oh, he was, 100%. Yeah. He is still. Okay. okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we All right. Can... We got to thank uh, John Mutton and the team at Municipal Solutions, of course, our presenting sponsor, uh, bringing the show to you each week. Uh, you can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And, Tony, I know that you're able to share a little bit more about what John and the team do there. Yes, uh, John and the team are very busy these days, Jody, very, very busy, although he did take time to get his Christmas tree lit up, I noticed on Instagram today, so I I admonished him, I thought he needed a little bit more tinsel, but uh, he's made a good, uh, and then he said he still has to wrap my president, my present rather, and I, and I said to him, well, if you're going to wrap my present, I take a size Maserati, so we'll see. Oh, there you go, very yeah, clever of yeah. you. But in the meantime, he's uh, he's there working for clients in development services and project management. Uh, his team can do development approvals and permit expediting. They have planning services with municipalities, engineering services, architectural services. If you have a minor variance or a land severance, they're great for that. Or indeed, building permits, municipalsolutions.ca. And now, Jody... Our next new sponsor, I want to welcome to the sponsor roster, Halton GR. That's Stephen J. Sparling's company. And they are a municipal lobbyist representing the development industry clients in the GTA West, Etobicoke, Mississauga, and Oakville. You can visit them at www.haltongr.com. 
Excellent. So how did you hook this one up? Uh, well, I, that's part of my job and part of your okay. job. We go out there and we find new sponsors. That's what I nice. did. So is this, this is someone you knew, though? I know. I've known Stephen for about, uh, I don't know, 30, 35 years for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I feel like I've heard the name before, maybe yeah. mentioned through you, but uh, well, that's, that's mm-hmm. wonderful. So we're excited to have both those wonderful uh, teams on as a, as a part of the show. And of course, don't forget, exclusive content available at looneypolitics.com. Shows you cannot hear anywhere else, but you got to become a subscriber and you can get 50% off an annual subscription by using the code podcast at looneypolitics.com. Uh, we have an exciting guest today. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, it's a gentleman who I met, um, I guess, around 2014 during the federal election. We were both candidates uh, in that federal election, which was in 2015. And maybe maybe it was 2015 when we met, but I, I feel like it was 2014. And he was unsuccessful. I was unsuccessful. But let me tell you this. Ever since our lives intersected, and he's been on the show already, so he's a return guest. But ever since our lives intersected, his life has gotten infinitely better. Like <laughs> since we since he met me. So I mean, he, he yes. he's unsuccessful as a federal candidate, and then boom, he becomes a candidate in the provincial. Well, no, actually, he yeah, he wins the nomination. Um, then he wins the actual ele- general election, and then he comes on the show. Then, like a day after, he becomes the minister of the environment for the province of Ontario. I know. And and then after that, like I give him a call, we're just chatting, and then I think like the next day I see he's engaged. Like it's just every, you know, everything that's happened in his life. I don't want to take full responsibility, but, um, but I will. So I mean, congratulations, it's a, Jody. A direct result. <laughs> a direct result of him knowing me. So without further ado, let's welcome back to the program. Our good friend, he is the Minister of Environment, the Environment Minister for uh, Ontario. He's also the MPP for Northumberland, Peterborough South, Mr. David Piccini. Thanks for having me, Jody. Thanks for having me, Tony. Yeah. Are are you regretting this? At what point in my little speech (laughs) did you start to regret this? After this, Jody, I'm gonna have to go get a lot of 649 tickets. So. <laughs> yeah. If you, hey, if you do and you win, can I at least have some of it? Absolutely. I'll be your next sponsor behind uh, behind uh, Municipal Solutions and John and and others. And okay. so let's let's off the top because I, I want to keep this. You know, obviously we'll get into some serious topics as well. But d- is there a wedding date planned? Is there a date set? Yes, August sixth. Oh. Of, of next year, right? Of, yes, of next year. I okay. gave a quick look to my uh, fiance just to double check. Yes. Okay. And not, I mean, and I know. Where, is it a destination wedding or what are you planning? No, uh, right here in, in Port Hope. Oh, lovely. And I know this will come up. So I'm assuming you'd probably wait till we're off air, but will you need our addresses or? <laughs> just, just text me. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't, I don't like the sounds of that. But. No, text me the address. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. And then lost in the mail. We're I know how this game goes. Dates. <laughs> well, David, it's uh, it's great to have you back on the show. And uh, a lot has changed since the last time you were on. Um, I, I'm just going to start. And I know, I know Tony probably has a list of questions, but I, I just want to start and just, just share a little bit about what the experience was like of being told that you are, you know, going to be a minister, that like you're in cabinet, like, 
were you tipped off at all? Did you have any idea? Um, what was that feeling like when you got the call or they reached out and let you know what, what was coming up? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, I'd be curious to hear Tony's story as well. I, uh, I was actually on a morning call as parliamentary assistant for colleges and universities, and I was laying out a few uh, visits that I was to do as parliamentary assistant. And I got the call midway through that meeting, right before I was about to speak. And um, I just took myself off Zoom video as we've all fumbled around with the mute, unmute, video on, video off these days. And I uh, picked up the phone call and it was the premier. And he he and I had a brief conversation um, and was, uh, you know, a bit taken aback. And I remember, I will never forget that call and had a, a really good conversation with the premier. And was honored to take on the role. And then I, I abruptly had to get back on that meeting that I was on. Um, the premier did say, you know, if you tell anyone, <laughs> we'll, we'll take it back. So I, I hadn't, uh, you know, didn't tell a soul and had to go back on that meeting, uh, pretend like everything was normal, talk about the trips we were going to take. And uh, then I remember distinctly getting off that meeting and just sitting there and looking around my office and I was a bit, um, you know, you're a bit uh, awestruck, kind of I wasn't sure what uh, the next steps would be. And I just uh, took it all in for a moment or two. And uh, shortly thereafter, um, you know, had another meeting and thereafter got a call from the cabinet secretary. And then you're, you're rushed through a number of, fo- uh, of forms to sign was told uh, that there'd be a Zoom that afternoon, was really excited because I think environment is a generational issue, um, especially as we tackle climate change, and was was really excited to take on the portfolio. Didn't tell a soul, literally, until the afternoon when uh, I told my fiancé and then I told my family. And then I had to rush home because it was a Friday. I wasn't in a suit or anything. Um, was just in my constituency and zipped home. Um, and, uh, you know, then I had to come back, had a little Zoom ceremony, and the rest is history. But it was uh, it was an exciting moment, one I'll never forget, that's for sure. That's, that's, that's great. I, I, uh, I was thinking back on my uh, first call to be Minister of Transportation, and uh, um, a little birdie told me that I was going to get the call um, former premier William Davis, uh, in whose constituency, uh, I represented, um, called me the day before and said, you're going to get a call. You're going to be minister of transportation. Uh, you know, uh, I just thought I'd let you know, like he was, you know, he was on the inside and uh, knew what Mike Harris was going to do. And so, uh, that, you know, that, that prepared me. I will say this though, when I was uh, when I got the call to become Minister of Health, I was Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, and I was in the literally in the middle of a speech, uh, you know, in wow. front of an audience, and uh, the Chief of Staff to the Premier uh, somehow called one of my assistants, and I they they said it was an urgent call, so I I stopped my speech went to the side, uh, the wing of the auditorium, was was told I was going to be Minister of Health the next day and told not to tell anybody, like you said, and had to go back uh, to the stage and finish the speech, which was the most surreal experience, just similar yeah. to what your Zoom call was. Yeah, so it was go. so surreal. And I, I, uh, 
you know, it was nice to be at home in the constituency office, I will say, with the team, uh, phenomenal constituency team, very grateful for the team we have, but it was really surreal having to finish that meeting. And honestly, it I'm sure, Tony, you had this too, but it, it, uh, it, it takes even a, a few months before it sinks in. I remember uh, speaking in the legislature for the first time as minister, and it's starting to sink in. Um, the decisions that you make and and the role that you have, um, the first few days fly by. And so I don't think it really sank in until standing up in the legislature and, um, and, and, you know, a short, short time thereafter. So one of the first things that you had to do was fly over to to Glasgow for the COP26. Mm -hmm. So I want, I want you to talk a little bit about that. Some of your impressions of going over there, what it was like, you know, what sorts of things were you doing, that kind of thing. Well, I was excited to be a part of, uh, a part of the Canadian delegation. Um, you know, it was the first, uh, cop that I, that I've ever been to. Um, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. Certainly a lot of people there. I was excited to bring Ontario's voice to the national discussion. You know, we were Canada's largest province, of course, and want to make sure that we're consulted and we're a part of any sort of commitment that Canada makes, given that we represent, you know, half, half the country's population. And specifically was excited to touch on a few key pieces. One, uh, electric vehicles and our, our strategy in Ontario were really uh, under Premier Ford. We've seen over $6 billion invested into the uh, auto sector and a real a play for for battery uh, production here. Of course, our critical mineral strategy, uh, lithium, cobalt, etc. So we we really A to Z. Uh, Ontario is the place for EV manufacturing. So really excited about that. Our hydrogen strategy that um, that we're on the precipice of of launching. Um, also, our extended producer responsibility. I was asked by a number of different jurisdictions about. Uh, recycling reformation that we're doing in the province of Ontario. And uh, finally, I mean, our climate impact assessment as well, uh, adaptation, resiliency uh, to climate change. And of course, Ontario under Premier Ford, uh, that's a first that uh, the province is doing to undertake a real holistic look to support our municipalities and inform, um, you know, the future sort of infrastructure investments we're going to have to make. So I think it was really productive. I certainly learned a great deal. We'll be a better environment minister as a result. Um, took a lot back for for key files that we're working on in the province of Ontario and, and learned a, a, a number of new things as well while I was over there. So I, I'm just curious, like, how it functions like when you talk about the ev strategy or the critical mineral strategy what table are you talking about it at like is it uh, are are you making general uh, discussion points in a large room or are these smaller tables how, how does it work no it's a great question so for ev for example was at uh, a round table among a number of others, there was the chair of the, excuse me, the transportation um, committee uh, out of the UK. And uh, so he spoke at length for what the UK uh, was doing. Um, I also, um, you know, I also joined the prime minister for 
uh, one of his events uh, where I was with Premier Fury and a number of others from from Canada. And uh, so that was a, a large setting at one of the pavilions. Um, it was the United Nations Pavilion. Uh, there are a number of pavilions in, in the COP conference. So you walk in, Canada didn't have um, a pavilion. And uh, I know we, we used to. I think there was a few things that were different about, uh, about this one because um, there was a lot of, you know, on the heels of COVID, uh, this had been pushed back uh, a year, so um, you know I think that there was there were some challenges relative to that. But uh, from a variety of forms, from direct roundtables, direct uh, bilateral meetings to larger sessions, where I joined the Prime Minister for for you know the the, the speech he gave with uh, the President of the European Union and a number of others, um, you know, and I think from our perspective. Um, we wanted to make sure that we had some strategic meetings. I know, among others, I, I introduced the the panel for the Upper York uh, Sewage uh, System, and uh, I wanted to make sure the commitment I made to that fast-growing region um, that we're leaving no stone unturned for wastewater solutions. And, of course, Israel is a, a real leader in that front. So they were keen to learn about our extended producer responsibility for Ontarians that want to recycle more, diverting waste from landfill. Um, but uh, but from our perspective, I wanted to learn about Shaftan, which is uh, one of their, their largest wastewater treatment plant. And I uh, had a really good conversation there and actually met their their, their lead in their department on that front, um, so that was that was successful. And as I said, on the EV side, um, MP Merriman, who is the chair of the Transport Committee, uh, he and I had a good conversation about uh, interoperability and some of the challenges on on how we expand EV. I think the market, as the premier said from day one, it's not necessarily about giving rebates to affluent Torontonians. It's about uh, setting the 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 conditions for EV adoption across the province of Ontario and through attracting investment and growing the number of EVs, we're doing just that. So it was, it was productive. I, I certainly, um, you know, enjoyed it and, and worked uh, extensively throughout uh, to the, you know, to advance interests uh, for, for this province. And was there some uh, time for informal discussions with fellow ministers that did that ha- happen at the conference too? Yes, uh, we did. Um, you know, I, I'd wanted, I've had some bilateral conversations with colleagues uh, across Canada prior to the COP conference. Um, as is the case, you sort of, you get a lot of, of people together. It was also a nice chance to meet in person, of course, on the heels of COVID. Um, and, and some of the, you know, as we gradually reopen, going abroad was was a reality and, and something we were able to do. But prior to that, hadn't been able to. So I actually hadn't met many of my counterparts across Canada. And, and I think that matters. I mean, why people, you know, having the cell phone number and, and having those face-to-face meetings does matter because we're going through similar challenges. I think all of us certainly want the federal government to consult with the provinces a little more. I understand, um, you know, they have ambitious agendas that they want to achieve, uh, certainly the way we're, we're structured. And I think, Tony, you think back probably to your own days, um, you know, the provinces play an important role and you've got to consult them. So certainly having those conversations about how we can work collaboratively with the federal government, but also learning from one another and Northwest Territories, 
I spoke, we spoke at length about infrastructure funding. I spoke to, you know, to my counterpart in BC about that as well. They've launched a climate change impact assessment themselves. So, you know, that was really beneficial. Um, but I think for, for all of us ensuring, you know, from our perspective that Ontario's voice is there because these are commitments made that have everlasting impacts on the province of Ontario. So it's important that we ensure that the largest province in our federation uh, has a seat at the table and is there to advance our interests and and share the voice of over 15 million people. Well, I can tell you one of the uh, dearest friendships that I made in politics was when I was Minister of the Environment and Alberta's Minister of the Environment was the Honorable Gary Marr. Ah. And uh, so this was in, this is 20 years ago now. But he's still a dear friend of mine, and uh, that was through the Canadian Council of the Ministers of the Environment. And uh, so I, I expect that uh, you'll you'll have a, a similar experience uh, with your with your colleagues. Hey, uh, since you raised it, uh, and then I'll turn the chair over to Jody again. But uh, uh, you, you raised uh, <clears throat> electric vehicles and uh, critical minerals and the critical mineral strategy of the province and. Uh, this is something I care a lot about. I'm co-chair of Reshoring Canada, which looks to provide information and advocate for more resilient Canadian supply chains. And critical to that is critical minerals, because as you alluded to, uh, a lot of the components that make for uh, electric vehicles and batteries can be found in Ontario. Uh, and, uh, and there's a lot of uh, mining concerns that, uh, that want to get going on producing those uh, very important critical minerals. So tell us a little bit about your discussions on supply chain and, and how Ontario can be a focus for that. Well, I think it's a great point you raise and one where we're very keen uh, with respect to the ring of fire and to ensuring that we're investing in the infrastructure, the roads, the critical linkages that uh, not only are able to further the, the key industries that support electric vehicles, but that are able to bring a vital services, healthcare, um, economic stimulus to uh, rural and remote Northern communities. Want, you know, working, of course, in partnership with Indigenous communities, I think, to recent uh, expansions we've done with Webaquay and Martin Falls, um, but I think as well, there's a certain international, certainly the theme at COP was uh, internationally the, uh, the work that respective jurisdictions are doing for electric vehicles. And we have a few advantages in the province of Ontario. One, we have the talent. We have among the best post-secondary institutions on planet Earth, and we have the talent that's required to take advantage of first mover advantage. We have the conditions. We're seeing uh, incredible investments. So number two, the the six-plus billion dollars we've seen invested into the EV space. Um, three, uh, and, and this is the critical piece now, is, is the full and complete supply chain. I think as international companies look at their carbon footprint, they want to make sure, and as their shareholders ask these questions, they want to know um, where are you producing your electric vehicles. To, so to say that you're doing it in a jurisdiction in which 90, you know, 96%, uh, 94 I mean, depends on who you ask in government, but let's say 94% uh, of your grid is is clean energy. 
Um, that's an incredible advantage that we have in the province of Ontario. It's uh, one we've taken years to achieve, and we should be incredibly proud of that. So we have an incredible advantage there, and it's about making sure. I mean, look, if we don't uh, make uh, take advantage of this, and if we don't uh, break down silos and get our ducks in a row in Ontario, uh, China and other jurisdictions will take advantage. So I, I think when you look internationally, and I think when you make a pitch saying we adhere to very high standards, we're engaging in a very national discussion on reconciliation and work in close partnership with Indigenous communities in the province of Ontario. Um, we're doing it on a clean electricity, uh, clean energy grid. Um, I think that these, uh, it's a, we have a very compelling story in the province of Ontario to attract investment, and I think we're seeing just that under Premier Ford. But uh, make no mistake, if we don't move, um, other jurisdictions will. And, and I certainly think that um, I'd like to see Ontarians benefiting from the electrification of the, of the transportation sector, which is, uh, of course, the largest greenhouse gas um, em- emissions uh, as far as sectors go in the province of Ontario. Jody? David, I um, want to lighten the mood just for a brief second, and then I do have a question about um, COVID and where things stand. But I know that uh, your leader, the Premier, uh, Doug Ford, recently had a birthday. Did you call him? Did you get him anything? (laughs) That's a good question. I did wish him a happy birthday. And uh, we we filmed a, a joint video, my colleagues and I, uh, to wish the premier a happy birthday. And I know, um, you know, I sent him a personal note on the on the special day. I uh, I will say this. Um, I don't know uh, about others, but uh, the premier um, is really sets a very high bar. He he was the first one um, in the last. I think uh, two of the last three years beat even my fiance to wishing me a happy birthday. He was the first call and it's not just myself. He does that too, but everyone. And uh, that's the kind of guy he is. He still, you know, he, he speaks to my constituents regularly, gives out his personal cell phone number. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I didn't know per se what uh, to, to, to give him, but uh, certainly sent him a note. And um, I know how busy, uh, busy a man he is in his role, but, um, but certainly hope he found some downtime. I mentioned that to him over the weekend. You got to recharge the batteries. Um, and, and, you know, a guy like that, especially someone who gives out a cell phone number, it's, there's not a week that goes by in this constituency where I don't. I go to one of our local businesses, bump into someone, and they said, oh, I spoke to the premier this morning. And I thought to myself, goodness, like I'm in cabinet and I haven't spoken to him in a few days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I think, uh, you know, he works incredibly hard, sets a very high bar. And I think really as far as a premier goes, I don't think we've seen as accessible a premier as we've seen in Premier Ford um, ever in this province. And so, um, you know, he sets a very high bar. David, I, I do want to ask a couple of questions about COVID um, just to get a kind of lay of the land. And I'm guessing if we're going to hear any canned answers, this is probably where we're going to hear them. I hope not. But um, Doug Ford, the premier has been, you know, very adamant that um, the state of emergency orders for the province, uh, he doesn't want them to go one day longer than needed. You guys have set out an aggressive uh, reopening back to, you know, I'll say back to normal schedule, you know, with some uh, restrictions being lifted in January and of course, March to March 28th, everything ends, which is great. Um, 
are we still on pace for that? And what kind of numbers are you guys watching? Because I know there's a certain section of the population that enjoys seeing numbers go up. Um, I don't know why, but they just like that. And, you know, they kind of are still hoping that there's going to be a big spike in ICU hospitalization, which, you know, lag time, I think we're all, I mean, Tony can probably follows a little bit more, but you know, I don't, I think those numbers are kind of staying steady. So I don't, I don't see a real big problem there, but I just want to know, are we on track? What are things looking like from your perspective? Pull back the curtain for us. Well, I think without question, uh, the cautious approach that we've seen, and not without incredible challenge in this province, but it's one that's working in the province of Ontario. We're seeing low case numbers, uh, specifically hospitalizations and ICU is the, is the real indicator. Um, but, uh, you know, with respect, you hinted there, Jody, on the extension of emergency. And again, under the, you know, emergency management uh, act, uh, if you look at the measures that are still in place, and this is one that frustrates me, you know, I, I think there are some who, who've without question, you may have received it, have sent form letters out saying there's a vote next week, uh, reach out to your MPP. Uh, these are the same folks, Jody, that have called me and say, don't, why don't you politicians learn? Why don't you protect the elderly, protect those who are most vulnerable? This is exactly, exactly what this emergency uh, measures are doing, enabling us to move healthcare professionals into outbreak, uh, you know, in the case of long-term care, uh, God forbid, we see other outbreaks moving uh, healthcare professionals to the front lines and learning. I mean, that's what you, at the core you want your your politicians to do, your public policymakers. Um, in the unprecedented nature that is a global pandemic, you want your public policymakers to learn and uh, to really uh, can you know respond in the best possible manner. So I think these measures that uh, we've put in place have been to really focus on where the most vulnerable are. Um, ensure we are able to reallocate and allocate resources where they're needed um, and uh, and adopt a vaccine strategy that, again, targets the most vulnerable. And, uh, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. We are among the highest vaccinated uh, jurisdictions on the planet. Uh, we have among the lowest uh, cases uh, per per capita in, uh, in, in this nation and on, in North America. And, um, you know, and, and there's light uh, certainly at the end of the tunnel where we're heading in the right direction. And I think by and large, if we look at the, the lives we're leading today, we know we have more to do, but we've put in place a plan. Uh, not many others, you know, most others follow us. Uh, when Ontario makes a move, you see the rest of the province follow. When we uh, took measures in, in elementary school and high school, we saw other, other provinces follow. And so we've released a plan um, based on, uh, you know, in the Chief Medical Officer of Health and based on the current trajectory, one that sees us, uh, you know, dropping uh, all measures uh, in March. And I think I know we're all certainly looking forward to a spring and summer next year uh, where, where we are back to normal. And certainly we're you know, Ontarians are making the sacrifice. Ontarians are 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 doing the lion's share of work. Um, certainly, our healthcare professionals, frontline heroes, to get us there. Yeah, no, I, I look. Uh, I, I look at the ICU numbers. That's what I care about. If if somebody has COVID, but it's not serious and uh, it's a or asymptomatic, 
who cares? I mean, what, what, what really counts is people who are very sick for whatever reason get the care they need. And our, uh, our ICU numbers have varied between 128 and 135 at the time of this recording, which I think is reasonable. It's, it's unfortunate there's 135 in, but it, it, it could be a lot, lot worse. And the numbers really have not spiked when it comes to ICU numbers. So that's what I look at, you know, as a former health minister, that's what, that's what, all of the sacrifice has been about you. You you get the vaccine, and uh, the promise is, uh, even if you get COVID, which you could still get, uh, it's going to be a relatively mild form of COVID in in most circumstances. I think out of the 135 in ICU, there's maybe seven or eight that have been double vaxxed out of that. The rest have been unvaccinated. So that's that's what I look at. And uh, and to me, you know, because people have made sacrifice to, to try to battle this, there has to be, you know, hope that we're going to get back to normalcy because otherwise, why did you make the sacrifice? And so I think as long as uh, Premier Ford carries on in that, frame of mind, I think, uh, you know, people will be very supportive. Yeah. And I think, uh, Tony, when you look at, um, you know, the, the hospital numbers, ICU numbers, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, uh, you mentioned you were in Florida. I think when I last checked, it probably dates back till September, but there was close to 12,000 people hospitalized in a, in a very different type of healthcare system that is, um, that is the United States, but in Florida, twelve, you know, close to twelve thousand on on a given day, in, in Florida, and and we're in a very different reality here. In yeah, Florida, in Florida now it's uh, really gone down. Uh, I think in the last seven days, in a population of eighteen million, they had a total of ten thousand new cases, mm-hmm. wow. which is kind of comparable to Ontario. I, yep. You know. Uh, so, so, uh, I think that, uh, it's really there, there, as, as you know, Ron DeSantis has taken a stand on this and, uh, uh, but, uh, so far, um, I would say that it's fairly normal down there. There's, there's no big panic and look, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to socially distance, socially distance, not nobody's stopping you. And, uh, you know, people are free to make their own choices. So we'll see where that goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tony was waiting for someone to pipe in there. <laughs> That's right. This is where I'm supposed to say time will tell. David's just sitting there going, I want to stop talking about COVID. Yeah, he, wants to, he doesn't want to talk about COVID anymore. I don't blame, no, I don't blame you, anything. David. I don't blame I think, anybody. Yeah, oh, you'll talk about anything. Anything. Yeah, anything. Okay. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> David, we're going to, we're going to wrap this up. I know, I know that, uh, You've been very kind to us with your time. Unless Tony has anything else, I just no, want to no, I, he's, his, uh, he's gone overtime time. actually. So I, I really do appreciate it, David, uh, to come back on your good sport. We, uh, I certainly, and I know Jody wishes you well, and and uh, you know, hopefully, people have not put a, a magic marker mustache on my uh, photo in the uh, in the environment ministry boardroom. But uh, other than that. No. Uh, Keep on, keep on rocking. You know, Tony, after you mentioned that to me, I did look and uh, they are up. So this is a formal invitation to you both to come by the boardroom. Uh, one of these days we'll do an in-person and, uh, and uh, Tony, your picture is up. 
um, as are all of them. We uh, had relocated the office, um, not not we, but uh, whoever the powers that be that do that in, in the government of Ontario, um, to uh, to a new office in uh, in downtown Toronto, and and I did make sure that uh, you know the the legacy and the history of of all those who walked uh, the halls prior to me is up there in our boardroom. So anytime you will see your picture, it is polished. There are no mustaches, and I think I my think hair was a bit darker. Yeah, the next time you're likely to see sideburns or a mustache, it'll be in June if you come out maybe to Coburg. You might see one on one of my signs. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair deal. Fair deal, my friend. David, thanks so much for doing this. We wish you all the best. And as uh, as uh, we let you know all the time, you are welcome back on the show. Uh, bring bring Mr. Lecce next time. We should get you both on at the same time. Well, I'd love oh, that. Is, has yeah. he been on? No, once. 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 Okay. Once. No, I'll, I'll tell him. He was just too over the top. Like, just couldn't get a, a straight answer to the guy. Everything was a joke. Well, no, 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 I, I think he was, uh, he was very guy. cautious and careful. You always got his back, don't you, Tony? Uh, you know, I, I know what it's like. You know, I've, I've walked a mile. Yeah, it's not easy. Certainly, uh, he's he's got a tough portfolio. He's doing yeah. a great job for a next generation. and He has been. Yeah. Um, I will mention to him, and hopefully we can both get on. Awesome. All right, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, gents. Take Thanks. care. Always a treat having David on and some very interesting observations in his new portfolio. Um, and of course, you and him relate so well now as both uh, environment, you know, former environment minister. I was only environment minister for nine months. So it's a. You're like the, what is it? Um, what's the wording I'm looking for? Like the Jedi, the Padawan, like, Ooh, you know, okay, taking him under your they, wing or whatever. Gray eminence, but sure, whatever. You could have said something like, you know, the force is strong in this one. That's right. Yes, yes. He's got a big I got to be honest. I was going to say to David, I was like, a couple weeks ago, I'm golfing, you know, in, in November, like beginning of November, and it was yeah, beautiful. Like this. And I'm like, I'm telling the guys I'm playing with, I'm like, I'm friends with the environment minister of Ontario. I'm like, but I got to tell you, if this is what climate change is all about, sign me up. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, this nice in November. We can do we can done. do without the flooding, uh, but uh, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Wow. Are they? Is that? Was that? I haven't honestly haven't been following the flooding too much. Is that directly related to climate I change? Think, I think what the scientists will say and what the alarmists will say are two different things. So the scientists yeah, would, will say yeah. it may be a contributing factor. The alarmists will say this is what happens when you have climate change, and uh, it's not scientifically valid but this is how this is how the debate goes it's like uh you know i was just reading something about the alarmists saying that you know there's going to be four billion people dead in in 10 years unless we do something radical now and it's actually not supported by the ipcc reporting uh which is the un uh committee on all of this but uh you know uh, the alarmists like to get people alarmed so that's where we're at on that Interesting. Uh, once again, big shout out to John Mutton and the crew at Municipal Solutions, our presenting sponsor. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. Also, make sure you check out exclusive content at looneypolitics.com. And use the we code also podcast. Think, we sorry, also use the think. code podcast oh, yeah, to sorry. get 50% off an annual subscription. And Tony, I know that you can share a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, sorry I interrupted you there, but uh, I also wanted to thank our newest sponsor again, Stephen Sparling at HaltonGR.com. A great uh, resource as well in the municipal sphere. All right, Tony, we will do this again in seven days and talk soon. You bet.